and welcome to another episode of Over the Outrage, where we will be subverting the outrage industrial complex one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brittany Novotny. I'm here on uh, March 12th, 2021, as my cat Azul jumps into my lap here. Hey, buddy. Hey. Thought you want to come be a part of the show? All right. So I'm here uh, on this March 12th. It's a beautiful afternoon here in Minnesota. Hopefully it's beautiful where you are. And I'm here to talk uh, talk about some things with you. Um, on today's episode here in a little bit, we are going to get into the system is rigged, but not the way the former guy says. Uh, but before that, I did want to say how wonderful it was uh, last night, March 11th, to have President Biden speaking to the nation uh, on the one-year anniversary of um, the the coronavirus pandemic being declared a pandemic. I know it was a year ago on, on March 11th, 2020, that I was sitting down in my living room and had pulled up the Oklahoma City Thunder game on League Pass, and I was getting ready to watch my team, and for some reason the game didn't get going, and uh, there was a lot of talking, and announcers weren't really sure what was going on, and from what I could see on Twitter, uh, it was possible that it looked like maybe one of the Utah Jazz players had, had tested positive for COVID, possibly. And sure enough, that had happened. Rudy Gobert had tested positive, and that game got canceled. And, and later the evening, in the evening, the NBA announced it was postponing its season. I think, at least for me, that was when the reality of the pandemic started to truly set in. Um, and so I know it's it's now been a year for most of us, some even a little bit longer. Um, that this has been a reality. Um, but last night, uh, President Biden was able to get up and uh, give a speech about the progress we've made just in his first couple months in office. Uh, massive numbers of people now getting vaccinated. Uh, as of today, March 12th, we're at 13% of the adult population has now been vaccinated. Um, so we're moving towards... Uh, getting through this thing. Um, I'm sure excited about what looks like a, a fun summer ahead where we may be able to start getting back a little closer to normal. Uh, although I'm pretty sure it's going to be a new normal that maybe doesn't quite look like the old normal. Um, but, you know, I'm definitely excited. Um, I took last week off for a little road trip. Uh, it was my birthday, so I drove down to Oklahoma, got to have a little outdoor gathering with just a few friends for for a couple hours on my way to uh, to go visit New Mexico and Colorado and South Dakota. Uh, this was obviously a pandemic road trip, so uh, my husband and I, we had most of our water and drinks and everything all with us already so we could minimize any any time going into convenience stores or anything and um but we did get to see a lot of the country see some great drives out in the in the mountains um it was really neat actually in taos uh, just outside taos 
off of the U.S. highway there. There was uh, a couple acres that the state of New Mexico has set aside for people to experiment with different kind of earth houses that are built cheaply and out of like used or repurposed goods. They call them earthship homes. Uh, so that was really neat. Got a chance to drive through the Black Hills and drive by Mount Rushmore. Um, so it was just a fantastic birthday road trip to get away. And it was so fun to see a few friends, even though it was outside and social distanced. Just getting to see some people and, and hang out with other people. Was, oh, so nice. Uh, really good time. Um, so with that, though, without further ado, let's get into this week's topic. And, you know, a lot of us have heard the, the term one person, one vote. And that's a term that kind of came out of some of the civil rights cases of the Supreme Court uh, under Justice Warren in the 60s. Um, the idea being that one person gets one vote and every other person gets one vote. So that's, you know, that's one of the fundamental concepts in our democracy, but it's a little bit of a misnomer because, you know, our Federalist Constitution, it never really set out to be a full democracy. We're actually a democratic republic. Um, you know, because of that, you might hear some people on the far right, particularly those of a fascist persuasion, will sometimes use terms like, we're a republic, not a democracy. Well, we're a democratic republic, um, which is considered the modern form of democracy. Um, now, these vary from country to country that are democratic countries, but um, suffice it to say that there really aren't any countries that are truly a one-person, one-vote democracy that vote on every issue that way. We're all some form of representative democracy. Um, but in the American Federalist system in particular, um, it, it was set out to, it was set up in such a way to discourage progress uh, unless it was such massively, overwhelmingly supported change that, um, that it clearly needed to move forward. And the way it did this as our Constitution was drafted in 1787, ratified by the states in 1788, uh, it set up a House, which is our Congress, our U.S. House, which is apportioned by population. And uh, it's basically, you just have to reside in the state you're seeking election, and you're chosen by election of the voters of, the, of that district. Um, the Senate, on the other hand, was set up to be far less democratic. So the House is kind of more a little close, hues a little close, more closely to one person, one vote. The Senate does not at all. Uh, in the Senate, each state gets two senators, regardless of how big the state is. And, you know, this was meant to protect small states from being run over by big states uh, to a certain degree. But I think it's important to also remember what our population looked like in 1788 compared to our population in 2020 um, or 2021 now. 
Um, in 1788, when the Constitution was ratified, the biggest state in population was Virginia at 821,000, and the smallest state in population was President Biden's home state of Delaware, which at the time had 60,000 residents. So 821,000 was the biggest, 60,000 was the smallest, the biggest state was 13.68 times bigger than the smallest state. As of the most recent census uh, estimate in 2020, the population of California was 39 million, and the smallest state by population, Wyoming, had 582,000. That makes California 67 times bigger in population than Wyoming. Um, but even though California is 67 times bigger in population than Wyoming, it only gets 18 times the votes in the Electoral College. So Wyoming, when it comes to picking the president, gets a lot more power in relation to California, and in the Senate gets a lot more power in relation to California, but in the House does not. But therefore, in both the presidency and the Senate, it's skewed very heavily in favor of the 582,000 people in Wyoming. So this entire system... It was really set up to preserve the status quo. Um, and, and the idea being that the, the founders didn't want change to happen too fast or to be too radical or for, you know, for radical changes to happen every four years. Uh, because that's bad for the business and eco economy because businesses need to be able to make decisions based on stability, and they need to have some predictability at what regulation's going to look like and what, you know, what commerce is, how it's going to be regulated. So that, that was the idea. And so at the time, you know, they had these differences in sizes that were much closer, where the biggest state wasn't just way bigger than the smallest state, and they, so they set up a system to, to weight it a little more heavily to the smaller states of the time. Now, due to the undemocratic nature of the Senate and the Electoral College, um, making big legislative change is going to be tough, and it's supposed to be. But we have to ask, like, is, is it supposed to be this tough? Now, when the former guy, as, I, as President Biden calls him, I like that, uh, complains about a rigged system while pointing to bogus claims of voter fraud and rigged machines, it's highly ironic. Because in 2016, the former guy won because the system was rigged in favor of the conservative party. And in 2020, he lost by 8 million votes total 
but the Electoral College was only decided by about 70,000 votes in a handful of states. So, you know, despite being highly unpopular among a vast majority of the population, it still came down to just a handful of votes, really. You know, 70,000 or so votes out of... 160 million almost that were cast. It was like 155 million or something. That is a very, very small margin. And particularly small when when the margin between the two was 8 million votes. This wasn't particularly close. So yes, the system is rigged. It's just not rigged the way the former guy claims. It's rigged against progress, and it's rigged in favor of the status quo. And sometimes, like I said, sometimes that's good. We don't want major shifts every two to four years. That, that could be bad. But when we go back to comparing the population of the smallest states to the biggest states, the differences are just staggering. 39 million people in California. 39 million. To just 582,000 in Wyoming, right? In the United States Senate, think about this. In our U.S. Senate that has 100 members from the 50 states, nine states account for 52% of the U.S. population. So 52% of Americans are represented by 18% of the Senate. And the other 48% of Americans are represented by 82% of the Senate. That's not one person, one vote. That is a far cry from one person, one vote. And it's what is standing in the way of having any kind of bipartisanship right now. Because one thing that the Republicans have learned under Trump is that they no longer have to try to appeal to the majority. You know, previous conservatives, um, you know, Ronald Reagan, George H.W. Bush, George W. Bush even, They understood that the system was rigged in their favor. So they didn't go whining about rigged systems. They tried to keep they tried to keep the rigged system talk on the down low. You gotta keep that on the DL. That's not you don't want people talking about rigged systems because if they start scratching below the surface, they realize, oh, it's way easier to run for president as a Republican than a Democrat. In fact, you know, if you know you're if you're running as a Democrat, you know going in immediately at the beginning of that campaign that you have a bigger battle, a bigger uphill battle than a Republican does. Because as we saw in 2016 and in the year 2000, a Republican can win without winning the majority of the vote. They can win without winning the popular vote at all. Um They just chose previously to not make it clear that they didn't have to seek the majority. 
In fact, I've heard Nicole Wallace on her show Deadline White House on MSNBC. Um, she was the press secretary for George W. Bush for several year- years. Um, she said in the 2004 campaign, knowing that in 2000 they had won the Electoral College but not the popular vote, they actually made it a point in their campaign to try to win the popular vote, even though they knew they could win without it. So they intentionally tried to appeal to a greater number of people rather than relying on the rigged system to just pull them across the line. Um, But the former guy pulled that band-aid off and said, I no longer need to appeal to the majority. I just need to appeal to enough to win. And so now we have a unified Republican Party that instead of talking about actual democratic reforms that are necessary, uh, is pushing um, what they call election integrity bills. Um, And these election integrity bills, they are not about election integrity. They are solutions in search of a problem. Um, There have been numerous court cases that have looked into these fraud allegations, uh, both this year, uh, or 2020, and even in 2016. Um, Famously, Chris Kobach of Kansas, who Trump had put in charge of his election integrity unit after he was elected in 2016, uh, famously flamed out after finding there was there was in fact no evidence of massive voter fraud. Um, and so when you hear them talk about that, you gotta know that they're making this up. Um, you know, we do need to talk about electoral reform because right now we have a majority of the country trying to move us forward on issues like health care and the economy, and we're being held hostage oftentimes by a pretty small minority of people. Um, we saw it with this American Rescue Plan. You know, uh, the polling on this I've seen from Pew Research and others, you know, between 65 and 70 percent of Americans support this $1.9 trillion rescue plan. They know we need it. They can look around their neighborhoods and their cities and their states and know that we need that. Cities and states, they need this money to fill budget holes. You know, people who have been out of work and, you know, behind on their bills, they need the extra money to get caught up. Um, So, you know, we the people, we see it. And a good 70% of us want this to be passed. And in spite of that, it required the narrowest of margins in the U.S. Senate to pass a massively popular bill that's supported by 70% of the people because one party has decided it can now operate in bad faith and operate at just catering to that minority. So... You know, I, I, I'm i going to be spending some episodes in the coming weeks on, on voting rights and voting reforms and electoral reforms. 
Um, and I wanted this to be an introduction because it's a it's a topic that's not often talked about. And, um, you know, every time these claims of a rigged system come up, you know, it's almost like some some Democrats feel the need to say it's not rigged. And, well, that's not particularly true either. It is. It was very, you know, very fundamentally rigged from the beginning. Um, but it's now rigged in a way that's keeping us from solving problems. And and I don't think the answer is necessarily completely do away with the Senate. Um, I can certainly see some good arguments for, you know, why we want smaller states to not necessarily be run over by bigger states. Um, so I can see that. So, you know, I've been kicking around ideas in my head. Uh, one idea I've kicked around is... Maybe we give an additional senator to a state at the 10 million population mark, and then they get an extra one for each 10 million over that. So, for example, in that system, California would get its normal two senators, and it has 39 million people, so then it would get one for 10, one for 20, one for 30. And since it's not quite to 40, that would be it. So three extra senators on top of the two it has. That would give California five. Texas and Florida would each have four. New York, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Ohio, Georgia, and North Carolina would each have three. Um, so I don't know. That would put us at about 113 senators. We wouldn't need tiebreakers as often. Might let Kamala Harris off the hook a little bit. Um, but, um, you know, that's, that's a solution I've been kicking around. Um, I don't know if it's the right answer, but I think now is the time for us to be coming to the table with solutions and ideas and reaching out to our senators and representatives and start talking about these conversations because that's the kind of electoral reform we need as well as, H.R. 1, the For the People Act, which I will be going over in a future episode. So um, that's kind of what I wanted to go over today. Just a little introduction into the rigged constitutional system and how it's actually rigged for conservatives. And, you know, how those of us who maybe want to see some positive change um, may need to approach this moving forward. Uh, against a very obstinate opposition that uh, represents a minority of the country but um, maintains uh, a lot of control due to our constitutional system. So with that, I will let you all get going to your weekends. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being patient last week and letting me have a week off for my birthday. And I'll be back again with you next week. Thanks so much. Have a good day.